So today we get to look at perhaps one of the most worshipful psalms in Scripture, exalting the aspects of our God that make very clear how he is so high above us, so transcendent, so beyond anything that we could ever be ourselves or that we could really even imagine. And the only proper response is one of praise and worship. Amen? And that is what we are going to be doing today. Today we're going to go through this psalm very uh, quickly. I'm going to break it down into four sections. And the final section, we're going to wrap in to our time of remembering Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So we're going to kind of tie all that together as we look at Psalm 139. And, and this psalm, as we are looking at all of the different characteristics of God, his unsecret identity, really is focusing on three of his omni-qualities, that he is omnipresent, that he is omniscient, and that he is omnipotent. And each of these little sections in here kind of highlights one of those qualities. But the quality that is kind of standing out and highlighted above the rest is the omniscience of our God, that he knows everything and that is how the psalm starts so we have if you if you have your bibles with you what i would do and this is what i've done in mine in verses one through six i'd put one of those little like bracket things and write omniscience next to it and then in verses seven through twelve i would put another bracket and write in there his omnipresence and then from 13 through 16, I would write his omnipotence. And then the rest of the psalm, 17 through 24, is how we are to respond in light of those three things. That God is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Now, omni is a word that means in every direction, everywhere, it's all, it's full, complete, total. And so when we say that God is omniscient, as the first six verses are talking about, we're saying that he knows everything. And that's how the psalm starts. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. In the Hebrew, what he's saying there is you have so thoroughly investigated every aspect of my being that you know me with full and complete understanding. There is nothing at all that you lack. And that's not just me, how well you know me. It is every part of creation, every part of the universe. You know it all. See, God not only knows all things, but he perfectly knows all things, which means that he can't learn anything. Nothing can be taught to him. And not only does he know everything in existence, but he knows every possibility of everything. Everything that you could possibly imagine that could be created, he knows what would happen if that was a real thing. Or he knows what would happen if you 
had, if there was a different design or plan or permutation of, of choices. He, he knows everything. He's perfectly knowledgeable. And God's omniscience, if people are honest with themselves, the fact that he knows everything, it often makes them uncomfortable. It often makes them feel like they want to get away from this all-knowing God because if we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're pretty dirty people, aren't we? We have things that we are not very happy about, right? Things that we're kind of ashamed of. And that's why the psalmist then turns to God's omnipresence in verses 7 through 12 because one of the responses to an all-knowing God is to try to distance oneself from them. And that's why the psalmist then says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? So I know you know everything. And that causes the sin within me, the, the selfishness, the pride within me that wants to rule my own life, that wants to be in control, that wants to run away from your knowledge, your omniscience, I want to get away from that. Well, guess what? I can't even do that because you are everywhere. You are not only omniscient, but you are also omnipresent. You're in every place at all times constantly. And he goes through this analysis of God's omnipresence. He is in the holiest places, and he is in the most evil places. See, in heaven is felt God's grace-filled presence, but even in the depths of Sheol, what one might call the place of the dead, well, people who are separated from God there, they feel his presence of justice and wrath. God is still present there. He's, he can't even be hid from in Sheol. He is in the east and in the west. That is what verse 9 is talking about. If I take the wings of the morning, the sun rises in the east and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. If you look at Israel, what is to its west? The Mediterranean Sea, right? East to west. God is there. If I try to hide myself in utter darkness... The light of our God overwhelms it, and I cannot get away from you there either. He is in all places, and the fact that he is in all places helps to explain why he knows everything. And this is so you see how God's omniscience is kind of the highlighted quality, and these other two qualities, his omnipresence and omnipotence really support that. Because God is everywhere, he therefore knows everything. Because he's an eyewitness to everything that goes on in all of reality. In time and outside of time, which blows your mind when you start thinking of that. Remember we talked about God's infinitude, right? He is not bound by our notions of time and space. He is everywhere, always, and therefore is an eyewitness and knows everything. 
But verse 10 is powerful because not only is God present, but he leads us. In the Hebrew, that means he, he takes hold of our hand and guides us. That when we seek him, we will find him and he will measure our steps and walk with us through this, this pilgrimage of life through this world that's passing away. And not only does he lead us, but he also protects us. He holds, your right hand shall hold me, right? So there's imagery here of God being present. He's all-knowing, but he is leading and he is protecting as you go. And that is very powerful when the enemy is coming against us, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But the reality is that as we walk with our God, and even if we don't walk with God, anything that we think is hidden is bare before him. And that's part of the reason why we can celebrate with such thankfulness what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Amen? Because we are all so messed up, because we are all so wicked in secret and sometimes just overtly, it is very good news that the God who knows everything and sees everything has the power to fix it. And he did that through Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's where the psalmist turns. He turns to the omnipotence of Yahweh next. And we look at that in verses 13 through 16. And he shows God's omnipotence in the very intricate example of how we are formed in our mother's wombs with so much intentionality and with great care. He he forms us, in verse 13, that, that word in the Hebrew actually means to, to possess as one's own, meaning he creates us and therefore he owns us. So not only does God know everything because he is everywhere, but he knows everything because he's the creator of all things. He formed every single one of us. He owns every single one of us as he has knit us together intricately in our mother's wombs. Verse 15, that word intricately, it's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word that's used to describe the most finely embroidered stitching possible, like absolute perfection with needlepoint. It's the idea that God is there just intentionally making every single unique part of you. And he's done that for every single person on this planet. The minute, the instant, the second that you were conceived, you in your personhood were known to God. And in fact, he knew you before then. Praise God. And he has a good plan for all of us that ends in his glory should we seek him 
submit to him, and find him. And so we have God's omniscience, we have God's omnipresence, and we have God's omnipotence. And as you can tell, I'm just kind of flying through these sections here. I want to give us a couple of points of application. Okay, so I know God has all these omni-characteristics. Great. So what? Well, the first thing when we hear all of this is to recognize that we live in a world and we face an enemy and even have our own sinful desires that work against the reality of these three things. Because we battle every day trying to be the ones who make the decisions in our life based off of our understanding. We fight against God's omniscience. We act and behave as if we can just go and do anything without hurting anyone else or without being seen by God, completely ignoring his omnipresence. And of course, we try to do our own thing in our own strength, right? Ignoring his power, his perfection, his omnipotence. And that is what the enemy is trying to do. We have to be aware, first and foremost then, in terms of these application points, first and foremost, be aware of how the enemy seeks to get us to forget the reality of who our God is. He seeks to deceive us and lie to us, right? He seeks to get us to forget about God's omniscience through lies and deception. He seeks to make us feel deserted. I'm going with a little deliberation here, okay? Deserted or lonely making us think that we are on an island, separated and apart. When we're not, God is always with us. His presence is constantly around us, whether we acknowledge him or not. And he gets us to fall into discouragement and despair when things don't go the way that we think they should, i.e. when we try to control the situation. Rather than trusting in our omnipotent and all-powerful God, who is everywhere and knows everything, including the best outcome for our lives as we continue to seek him and serve him by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit within us. So recognize how when we go through this world, the enemy is constantly trying to get us to ignore or forget or just disregard who our God is. And so when we sing songs like we just did about we want our God to be lifted high, I mean, those words of praise are great. But if our lives don't live out a life of worship in recognition of what we are singing, then the enemy is winning in how you are living that out. Why do we sing that we want God to be lifted high? It's because he is who he is, amen? He is omniscient, he is omnipresent, he is omnipotent, and therefore, he alone is worthy to rule and reign and be worshipped for who he is. And so, when we sing those songs and we praise his name, we are also necessarily a need to be mindful of pushing back against the schemes and strategies of the enemy to get us to forget who our God is. 
all right? So first one is to be aware of the strategies of the enemy. But secondly, in the face of who God is, all of his omni-attributes, we should be humbled. We should be humbled. I mean, when we actually sit and think like the psalmist did, and it says that it's a psalm of David, right, who certainly can imagine had lots of time when he was overseeing his sheep to reflect on the grandeur of God, right? That when you sit and think about the fact that God is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, wow, that kind of puts us in the right perspective for our own flesh, our own pride that wants to rear up and be someone, wants to have our way. Well, in the face of that, the only proper response is one of humility, where we recognize that you are God and I am not. And rather than seeking to worship myself and please myself and my desires, the only proper response of humility is worshiping and seeking to please and praise you and what your desires are for me and for this world, for those around me. So we are to be aware of the strategies of the enemy and we are to be humbled by the grandeur of our God and asking him to help us to walk in the humility of his spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, that's going to produce that humility within us. Isn't this great that we don't have to do it under our own strength? Amen? That he will do it, he will make it happen. Which should, number three, encourage us to live for God. When we know who our God is, when we know that he is all of these different attributes, well, that should give us, that should give us confidence. That should give us strength. That should give us the boldness to go and to proclaim his truth, proclaim his excellencies, to do the work that he calls us to, because I know who my God is that I serve. And therefore, what can stand against me? What does it say in Romans? If God is for me, then what? There's nothing that can stand against me. Amen. That is the mindset then of the person who is so totally convinced of who God is and that they have been called to do something by him, which guess what? Every one of us has. Every one of us has been called to, to love as he loves us, to boldly speak truth to those around us, to, to stand in the gap for such a time as this, wherever he has placed you uniquely in your life. And so by God's grace and the power of his spirit, he will give you something to do, to glorify his name. Praise God that we can have confidence that our God cannot be stood against. Right? It can't happen. He's already won in Jesus Christ, and we're going to celebrate that in a moment. But when I really, truly, not just intellectually know, because guys, I know that most of us know all about God's omni-characteristics. And so a lot of us are sitting here just thinking, yep, 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 heard, I know that, I know that, yep, yep, that's good. But like God, it's one thing to know intellectually, but do you know that experientially? That's the type of knowledge that God has, because he experienced it, he lived it in Jesus Christ incarnate, right? Do we have confidence from experiencing the grandeur of our God? 
that is what we, how we are to live and walk and seek him, to know him like that, to have confidence in who he is so that we can serve him. So we are to be encouraged to live for God. One of the signs of our maturing walk is that we desire to know experientially these qualities more, not just intellectually, but that our heart is full of boldness and confidence so that we can serve him unhindered by the attacks of the enemy. Which leads to the final point of application, and there's so many more, you can draw out of this whatever you will, but these are just some that I pulled out, is that we need to be praying for those who don't know God, who don't know who our God is. Especially in this time when there is craziness, when I got to stand up here and preach with a mask on, that we are praying for the lost in this world. That we are praying for those who are so filled with fear or hatred or anger that the Lord would make himself known to them so that they can find true life, so that they can find true justice and peace, so that they can find true hope that only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is when we know our God, we need to respond by praying for those who don't know him and hoping and seeking on their behalf the Spirit of God to break through their hardened hearts through whatever circumstance that may be, even if it means something to our detriment, even if it means casting aside some of our rights. We do everything we can by the grace of God to see those who are lost come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's our call. And that should be the response when we know and see how great our God is. And that is what the psalmist ends with. He ends in verses 17 through 24 with three responses. And this is my prayer as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So if you came in here and you want to participate in the Lord's Supper with us, we have these little self-contained cups, and there are two flaps on the top. The first flap is for the, the little wafer in there, and then the second one is for the juice. Now, the psalmist here, he sees how great and mighty and awesome God is. And there are three ways that he responds. First, in verses 17 and 18, it's in humble submission and worship of God. He just praises God for who he is. I mean, when you really, truly understand God's omniscience and his omnipotence and his omnipresence, what other thing could we do, right? But to, to lift our voices and praise him, to worship him. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. He just, he just acknowledges that God is in control. 
that God's thoughts are, are precious. And then he has this very interesting response in verses 19 through 22, where he basically acknowledges and states that those who are against God, those who hate God, that I will stand against as well. So this is very interesting because as we go through life, we are to pray fervently for those who do not know Jesus Christ, who have not put their faith and trust in him. But brothers and sisters, you know that we are not to tolerate sin, right? We cannot allow it to enter into our practice, into our lives, into our families, and we are to stand against it. And that takes a lot of wisdom and discernment to do well, because you know the enemy is going to try to weasel in there and get us to act out of pride rather than acting out of zeal for the holy God that we serve. And there's a very vast difference between those two things. Because if I am responding to sin out of my own pride, I have now put myself on the throne of judgment above that sin, and I am speaking from a place of condemnation, which only our God can do. And, and that will come from within us and will cause us to have a, a reaction of anger against that person themselves rather than standing firm and bold with a holy zeal in honoring our holy God, where our reaction is not against that person, but is against the sin that is coming out of their life. And that is such an important distinction. And the only way that we can do that is if we are walking in the humility of the Spirit with the fervent hope of bringing glory to our God especially and even when that means us submitting our own prideful assertions for the sake of God's glory. And trust me, the Spirit of God will let you know the difference in that moment. And if not in that moment, then probably afterwards when the conviction hits you. Praise God for that conviction because then we have an opportunity to grow and to repent and to be more and more like God, which is why the psalmist ends the way he does. Because if we are seeking to stand against evil, if we're seeking to stand against sin and say that I want to honor a holy God by taking a stand against us, well then guess what? The first place you gotta look is where? Right here. Because we are all sinful, messed up people. And praise God that he helps us to see that, right? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. There is a prayer worthy of all of our lips. That that would be something that as we worship our God. And as we take by God's grace, a stand against evil, we are simultaneously seeking and praying for the Lord who 
Verse one, right? Or Lord, you have searched me and known me. That's what our God does. Lord, I know you already know my heart because my heart is deceitful. My heart is wicked. Jeremiah 17. So show me. Show me. And he will. He will. That's why it's so important to be in community because the Lord often shows it to us through community and fellowship with others, right? This is why, by the way, we are so encouraging every single person to be in a growth group because when we pray this prayer, the way the Lord shows it very regularly is through our brothers and sisters who we have such close community with that they can say, hey, Matthew, hey, let's talk about that thing that you did or let's, let's talk about the thing that you said because there is something coming out of your heart there that I'm not sure if you're aware of. And that person loves me enough to come and have that conversation with me. Praise God. That's an answer to this prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The Lord is leading me through my brother and sister who has come alongside and is helping me walk the narrow path through the small gate towards him. That is so, so important. And now there are other ways that the Lord does this, but I just want to put an underscore and exclamation point on how critical it is that we are seeking godly community. And so again, I would encourage you and commend all of you to make a priority of finding a community to do life with together. Find a growth group so that you can plug in and be transparent and be encouraged and to grow with. And so as we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, it is my hope and prayer that as we look back on the cross, we look back on the fact that Jesus he bore our sin. He bore our shame. He took all of that upon himself. That we would be encouraged that he did that because of his great love for us. <laughs> because he knew there was no other way. No one comes to the Father except through the blood of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, praise God, victory over sin and death. And that is the way that God fixes our brokenness. It's through Jesus and through the Spirit of God working within us, making us more and more like him. Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are, that you are everything that we are not, perfect in all ways. So, Father, we pray that our hearts would respond with worship and humility that we would stand in holy zeal against the evil in this world, but also humbly serve the people who are lost around us, lovingly sharing your truth to them, even at the expense of ourselves. We pray, Lord, that you would search our hearts and reveal them to us, that you would help us to find brothers and sisters who can lovingly come alongside and help us to see what's in our heart as your spirit shows them that they would communicate to us. 
Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus, through whom we can know you. And it's in his mighty name we pray.